Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, Maltopians. As you can see by the title, today's episode is the season one finale of the Red Mother remaster. On Thursday the 14th, we'll be launching our new series, The Sleep-Wake Cycle an investigative noir-type horror story that follows twin wellness agents Isaiah and Rosemary as they assess the damage wreaked by the great darkness across the United States. Unlike previous series, this series will have its own RSS feed, 
So all you'll need to do is a search for the sleep-wake cycle on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. With a projected first season of two dozen episodes, we'll then return to Red Mother for the final season of that story. On the 14th, we'll also drop a brief announcement here on our Maltopia pod with a link to the premiere double feature of the sleep-wake cycle. For even more sneak peeks and behind-the-scenes content on sleep-wake cycle, you can join our growing Patreon community for as little as two bucks a month. Thank you all so much for your support, and enjoy the episode. It wasn't long before the ambiance of the Nightmare City extinguished our little party in the dark, sweeping away our laughter into a funeral darkness of dead dreams and risen nightmares. Yet, my zest for the journey ahead wasn't squashed in the least. If anything, it had grown. The world was wider and weirder than ever I'd suspected, and my story was far more than a eulogy for lost loves and empty wine bottles. I was becoming something altogether different than what was intended, a thing made from the blood of secrets, hands filled with eons of killing. I hadn't mentioned anything to Baron or Wicked about the lightness of the knife I carried, how it felt like a silver breeze whispering across my palm, or the way it seemed to sing when I put it in motion. The deadlier the action, the louder and more beautiful the song. It was Baron who broke the rehabilitated silence. His deep voice complemented the fullness of the surrounding pitch like a monster's morning rasp after a century of sleep. Time is death here, so I suggest we move the party along. Wicked smiled. Oh, death lives in time, my friend. Catastrophe can scrunch itself up to fit inside a single moment, like an apocalypse atop the back of a snail. There's no rush at all. Specifically, because that's the script of the moment, to hurry down nightmare lanes filled with monster after monster. Perhaps we should just relax in these wonderful facsimiles of Vives' comfy furniture, have a moment to ourselves, 
recall forgotten things. I wonder if there's any soda in that refrigerator. I let the revived levity have its way with me. If this place is anything like my real apartment, there's definitely no soda in the fridge. Box wine, maybe. Steeping in a dream may be fine when you can wake from it. But here inside the nightmare, steeping is akin to drowning, body and soul. Get my drift, Dylan? Indeed I do. Wicked's eyes went to mine, looking for the final word on the matter. Yeah, let's get moving. At that moment, I didn't think I was even interested in the witch any longer, at least not in hearing secondhand stories from former cronies. She was spilling more than enough beans these days. I wanted to meet Donald. Somehow I felt I knew him, needed to get to him. That's when I knew he was my target. For precisely what, I had no idea. But the Red Witch's thoughts were getting easier to decipher. Whatever her interest in Donald, it was something that made all the difference in the world to her. Which made me wonder all the more at why the hell she wanted me. That's when I remembered the videotapes, the ones that had started all this. Hold up, guys. I want to check something. I moved to the stack of videotapes near the VCR. They were all there, every one of her greatest hits. The next tape in the Witch series was on top. The label read, Remember Me? I signaled Rover to bring over the severed head of the TV monster. After checking the back of the thing's skull for the proper contacts, I reconnected the VCR. The tape went in so fast, I thought something pulled it from within. The play button depressed all on its own, and the glass of the screen slowly faded away. Pretty soon, the static was overflowing the innards of the bloody TV head. Little monochrome lightning bugs flitting around the dream darkness. The static kept coming, drifting and pooling everywhere around me, until I seemed to be lost in the stuff. I felt the witch playing with the powers still lingering within the severed head of the TV creature. Recalling some of its lost potency, using it to plumb the depths of my mind. Finally, I felt something yield to a gentle tugging, and my memories came out in her hand. The lights dimmed as I watched forgotten things tumble against a trembling void, endless and yawning. I saw myself as a little girl, standing against a white wall, patches of peeling paint revealing the rough orange bricks beneath. I wore a plain white jumper, all pale and drab, completely worn out. In my hands, I clutched a ragged doll, yet it was only a doll from the waist up. The rest of it was missing. The unwoven yarn looking like trailing white innards, the wind snatching at the bloodless tips. As I watched the faded images drift into focus, my head began to pound out its rejection to remembering. Thunder and pain washing over me in relentless, horrible turns. My eyes were beyond my control, engaging the display like those of a newborn, devouring everything before them. I watched my younger self merge into a line of similarly dressed girls. We were nothing more than the debris of life. Our hope like the dead moths piled on a windowsill, abandoned to our place in the world with little care or precision. Orphans, all. Yet my situation was different than the rest. My desertion came by an altogether more sinister set of circumstances than house fires and tragic car accidents. 
Her mommy and daddy were killed to death by a murder man, said a little girl, her hand failing to shield the word she whispered to a fellow waif. And there it was, just like that. The truth beneath the petty lies they told me, the drunks who took me in as a child. The snail shouldering the apocalypse dropped its burden. The power to the TV was cut. The images on the screen faded into their hidey holes deep within my distant memory. Baron and Wicked were staring at something behind me, their eyes wide and wary. I turned to see a creature dressed in the soiled attire of kings and clowns, sitting on a throne made from tattered blood-stained mattresses, the back of it fashioned from rusty iron headboards. The monster was easily head and shoulders taller than Baron, its build chiseled as a mountain. Horns and snakes and bells and teeth protruded every which way, making it a mishmash of various incubi. In its left hand, it held the dangling plug to the TV, and its face bore eyes older than the light by which they saw. I didn't need an introduction to know this wasn't just some run-of-the-mill nightmare. This was something altogether more powerful. Its voice evoked pure dread. The fear and loathing of a child who knows something waits under the bed. Why, Vive? What a wonderfully morbid bit of memory you've given us. The perfect stuff from which to craft a splendid nightmare. Midnight beatings from Daddy Dearest. Dentist drills licked red and sticky. Closet doors that creaked open at midnight. They're all given extravagant accommodations here in the city under the bed. And look here at what you've dropped, silly girl. I'm sure you two are eager to be reacquainted after so much time apart. The creature held half a doll, the unwoven yarn no longer white, but blood red. The toy's black eyes seemed to swallow me whole, and I could smell the stale air of a white-walled orphanage. This city is the perfect place for all sorts of family reunions. The Dream Devil gestured to the spaces between Wicked and Baron. A door slammed open somewhere out of sight, unleashing a familiar voice. Well, if it ain't my little Dilly, I done told you not to run with them dogs. Now you're really gonna get it, you little shit. From nowhere, gigantic bloody pigs filled the room, squealing. It, w it was too much too soon. After such a raw and naked revelation, I buckled, falling to the ground under the weight of the doll's loaded stare. Wicked didn't last much longer. I watched in horror as he sank down beneath the flood of swine, his incarnate memories gnawing at his hands and feet. We were at the mercy of our living memories, prey to the past. Only Baron was left standing, the sea of filthy pigs barely a mud puddle to the giant killer. Pausing a moment to slide his hand into a shirt pocket, Baron addressed our newest foe. Hmm, a clever trick, creature. But I've killed every last one of my demons. Hold them up from my past all you like. They'll only run. Parting the shrieking waves of pigs, Baron stepped toward the horror, fitting a custom set of machine part knuckles over his thick fingers. The monster seemed to find the murderer's defiance amusing, chuckling beneath its own ham-sized fist. 
You've chosen the wrong opponent, human. The nightmares I'll wring from your stinking soul will soon illustrate the magnitude of your folly. Then I will bring you all back with me to the Harrows, where my father waits in hungry sleep. You will be... Baron closed the distance in a blur, bringing his steel-slathered fist crashing up into the monster's elongated jaw. The creature didn't so much as flinch, but only fixed Baron with a gaze that could melt steel. You would have been happier being swallowed into the groaning bowels of my father, human. Now, I will turn your primitive soul into a single, unending scream. Baron's face came as close to a smirk as I'd seen. His pale eyes like carrion birds, gray and ravenous, seeking death. The explosion that followed was typical of him. His most conspicuous movement was mere diversion for his least observed and deadliest. His ineffectual haymaker served to conceal the explosive his left hand stuck to the monster's side. As the room rumbled to the sound of thunder, Baron melted into the darkness while the monster disappeared in a fountain of fire. Predictably, the creature was considerably less than dead when the smoke cleared, beaming hellishly at the now empty space formerly occupied by my lethal companion. I deduced the attack had been meant only to assassinate the creature's calm and playful repose, focusing its attention on surrogates for its hatred of Baron, creating a logical trajectory for its next move, killing me. Disarmed of its arrogance, the monster resorted to glowing rage, though I took solace in the realization that it was dancing to Baron's carefully prepared tune. I took a moment to cement the creature's commitment to kill me. <laughs> Sucker! Alongside my confidence in my ally's intervention, the music in my right hand continued growing, demanding a larger audience. Just as the nightmare's claws nearly closed upon me, Baron struck. A massive punch dagger erupted from the monster's yawning mouth like a serrated metal tongue, drenched in streaming black blood. The thing's eyes only burned brighter for the violent intrusion, but our offensive was just getting started. Wicked had overcome his fear of swine and fat grandmothers, joining in the fun with his lovable smile. Covered in the blood of butchered pigs, my madman rode high atop Rover's back, bowling the creature over and slamming it to the ground. My dog used his considerable weight to pin the demon on its back while Wicked went to work with his blades, carving the creature's face into a reasonable facsimile of fresh hamburger. The fiend wasn't the least bit impressed, chuckling as it forced the pile of murderers and monsters away, hoisting Rover up by his rotting scruff. It took a moment to stretch its enormous limbs before seizing me with its furnace eyes. Wicked stood at my side, smiling fire and defiance, blades at the ready. The nightmare matched smiles with my defender, his eyes settling on me. So, this is all about you, huh? A matron of murderers and undead mastiffs. He tossed Rover into the darkness behind me. The legless doll crawled across the demon's feet, mewling like a dying cat black button eyes staring holes into my distant past. A quivering mountain of abusive grummy shambled to the monster's side, eyeballing Wicked with a sickening eagerness. I smiled back. Four starters. 
A rich tar of guttural laughter poured from the creature, the sound of gravel grinding meat in a thunderhead. His eyes bored deeper into mine, tunneling into every fear I'd ever known. Well, little mother, I am Gloomhest, and while I am a great admirer of both murder and undead beasts, I am no friend to interlopers, especially those who refuse the good gifts of my sleeping father. What value do you creatures possess beyond the sometimes impressive content of your deepest dreams? What else could matter? Gloomhest knelt on huge knees, still looming head and shoulders above me. He hunched down until his slashed and bloodied face hovered only inches from my own. Your kind are only tasty little nightmares swaddled in sticky skin. We are the eager past. Come to peel you open and gaze inside before swallowing you whole, skin and all. His breathy words smelled like smoke and rot, evoking a vague childlike dread in the pit of my stomach. But you're far too small a morsel for me to bother with. I think you're much more their size. He returned to his full height, gesturing at the growing army of nightmares behind him. They've been cultivated from some of your tastiest dreams. And as anyone with a dark past knows, memories are forever hungry. Gloomhest faded from sight, leaving behind a horde of nightmares and a wet rumble of laughter. Wicked still stood at my side. I could feel Baron at my right and Rover sidling up to my left. Most of all, I could feel the music in my right hand. The mass of terrors began to circle us, their collective drool creating puddles that washed filthy and warm across our feet. Wicked, God love him, began to giggle and taunt them. Baron's knuckles popped like firecrackers. Rover's saliva mixed with that of the nightmares, causing it to hiss and bubble. Yet I barely registered any of this. The music was deafening. Suddenly, the room went red broken only by the bodies of the countless murdered, adrift in the cold blood that cultivated them. I knew each of their names and felt all of their pain. She was opening up to me, finally. I could feel the endless sea of blood entering me, becoming me, through the vehicle of a single composite scream folded into the most beautiful music. I took them all in, the slaughtered masses and their dead music gave them shelter beneath the red shade of my broken soul. They were all within me, crowding out my air, clawing and singing at the singular salvation I held in my hand. I struggled to break the surface of the sea, my hands slicing through scarlet waters. When air and life seemed all but gone, the waves solidified within my grasping hands, becoming warm and wet dimmed in the music of murder. I snapped out of the vision, surrounded by the destruction I had wrought. The droves of drooling nightmares lay dead, their riven corpses encircling me in a dying spiral, unwinding into the peerless void. The tool that had brought all that death was still clutched firmly in my bloody hand, its music fading to whispers. My deadly caravan of killers stared at me with eyes like saucers. After a few moments of silence, their wonder gave way to celebration. This was my family, 
and there were no lengths to which I wouldn't go to protect them. My soul swam in their adoration, and my heart burned for their preservation. That's when I knew I was the Red Mother. The dreamer was tucked away into a little apartment at the top of the building, behind a rotten wooden door that was indistinct from any other foreboding prop of the Nightmare City. Finding it unlocked, we strolled right in. Knives out, of course. You could never be too careful in a city chock full of carnivorous nightmares. The darkness of the man's room felt altogether different from that of the outer corridors, more neutral and calming, like a lightless incense that wafted invisibly from every corner. Water leaked from various holes in the ceiling, even though the weather outside was dry as a bone. When I crossed under the miniature falls, they felt gentle against my skin, as opposed to my recent dip into the Red Sea of Murder, which had painfully clawed its way into me through each and every pore of my being. The guy we'd nearly died to see lay snoozing away in his bed, stretched out beneath some of the rattiest blankets imaginable. He looked more like a squatter than some magician dreamer, but I'd long stopped judging books by their covers. We debated the best way to wake him, so he could regale us with his somnambulist wisdom. Before any of us could make an attempt, he sat up, squinting at us through the dim light of the stubby candles hunkered down on his nightstand. He seemed young, but I knew better. His true age was hidden from sight, but not from those lesser understood senses, the ones prone to activation in the presence of the supremely weird. He looked straight to me as I figured he would. I was somehow the center of all of this, the blood-drenched sun around which this universe of murder and monsters wheeled. I was getting used to the attention, but was no less fond of it for the exposure. Wicked stepped in front of me, as was his habit whenever strangers were near, but my protector only offered the man a kind grin and a few gentle words. Hello, old one. I trust you've had a pleasant nap. Wicked had clearly deduced the man's true age as well. The man smiled a little at the question, then yawned and stretched out his arms over his head, his joints crackling like bubble wrap. Why, yes, I did. Thank you for asking. After he finished his morning stretch, he laid his eyes deeply into mine. I could feel a power coming from them, pawing through my mind turning over dreams, examining them. My, I didn't think I'd ever run into you again. Then again, you're not quite you anymore, are you? I smiled at the dreamer's magic trick, a penny in his beggar's cup, and tried to get down to business. A man came to see you a while back. His name was Donald. What can you tell me about him? Or specifically, what can you tell me about his dreams? The little dreamer smiled again, full and fat, secrets filling his mouth. Now, there's a dreamer if ever I've met one. His dreams were like storms stuffed with all the thunder and lightning of an apocalypse, just boiling to break loose from the sky and kill the world. I can sometimes still feel them, roiling and raging in the distance, gaining strength. The man seemed lost in the memory of the killer's dreams, a moth lured by inner lights. But I needed more constructive, specific responses. What precisely does he dream about? Precisely isn't a word that fits naturally into a discussion of dreams, but I'll do the best I can. You see, 
Donald is as close to a dream himself as any person on the solid side of waking. His dreams seem to predate his emergence into the world, which I shouldn't have to say is a bit on the unusual side. But, as per your request, I'll try and circumscribe the nature of his dreaming to a fairly concentrated theme. In a word, his dreams center around change, pure and simple. He is, to the best of my knowledge, a nightmare upon the world. And not in the way of the wakeless either, but by way of a solution, a remedy, a vaccine for creaking banality. His coming was not a welcome addition to the sun-spilled landscapes of Mother Nature, I can tell you that. His dreams, even as a child, were of the most disruptive sort, trying desperately to spill into the world, to destroy it. Donald's visions are relentless, furious, and will stop at nothing to see the earth redeemed within themselves, whatever the cost. While he was here, and despite my many warnings to never fall asleep inside of this wicked city, Donald took it upon himself to dream, as often and long as possible. Products of those nocturnal visitations still linger here, within the wax and wane of evil sleep, like eternal flies in a spiderless web, always trapped but never dying, fluttering mindlessly, madly. Who knows, perhaps they will escape one day. But all that aside, if you really want to know his dreams, why not see them for yourself? I can take you to them if you like. However, you'll need to fall asleep, of course. I'm certain you already know the perils of sleeping in New Victoria, so I'll not belittle you with the obvious warnings. But in the interest of satisfying your questions as completely as I am able, and to avoid your setting that grinning monster upon me from failing to satisfy your request, I would highly recommend you come with me into sleep to visit the nightmares of the man you so earnestly seek. It wasn't my favorite plan, but I'd already gone through hell and back. What was one more time? My answer came fast and loose. Sure, let's do it. My adopted family of killers seemed fine with the plan, except for Baron. He placed his head in his hand and shook it a bit. As for the possibility of the dreamer double-crossing us in our sleep, I could feel fear wafting from him like the smoke of a bonfire. He knew what I would do to him, or rather, what she would do to him if he tried to screw us. There wasn't much preparation to the affair, which seemed to belie the many dangers it implied. We just gathered around the dreamer's bed, putting our backs to the unkempt floor, staring into the endless shadows that haunted the ceiling. Of course, Wicked drew closest to me, resting his head on a clump of dirty rags he'd found, smiling over at me like a kid at a sleepover. Baron lay like a toppled statue, stiff and indignant, hating every moment of it. And poor Rover, who was much too large for the room, collapsed in a rotting heap just outside the doorway peering at us with dead, unblinking eyes, whining occasionally. The dreamer took to his bed and leaned over to put out the candles with his fingertips. One by one, each tiny death heaped mounds of shadow into the room, until only that gentle darkness remained. His last waking words to us, our pilot of nightmares, was to stay close to him once the dream took hold, else we might get lost and never return.
The second I fell asleep, I had the distinct impression of plummeting into yawning jaws, red-dimmed and opening beyond blackest horizons. But the voice of the dream sage was quick to correct our course, guiding all of us to less terrible pathways, which isn't saying a lot, believe me. It can't be overemphasized just how awful the dreams in and around New Victoria truly are. While we pussyfooted around some of the ghastlier imagery, it was all still monstrously visible. The nightmared ruins of entire worlds hovered a hop, skip, and a jump from dreams of cracked open closet doors weeping countless shadows into children's darkened rooms. Occasionally, a dream of getting lost in a shrouded maze would rub shoulders with visions of illimitable pits, filled with hundreds of shrieking, tumbling dreamers, every one of them bound for a bottomless nightmare, never to wake up. Wicked looked like a kid who had snuck into an R-rated movie, just a face full of grins at each and every obscene sight. Baron was stone-faced as usual, paying careful attention to the sage as he brought us through the forest of horror. The path we walked appeared as a dirty hallway, stretching between rooms of nightmare, each one either hatching in the head of its respective dreamer, or bloating the guts of slumbering unsuspected mothers-to-be. The price of womanhood in good old New Victoria. The evil of the wakeless was every inch an industry as much as a nightmare. A ruthless efficiency inlaid each phantom pregnancy and nuanced every horrible image, all of it to terraform, so to speak, the world of the waking into an eternal haunt for demonic dreams. I wanted to feel for the figures falling and flailing in hopeless sleep, but much to my surprise, all I felt was a sort of kinship and competition with the wakeless. My ascent to monster granted me an awful perspective, where heartless predation and wanton slaughter became only useful metrics for calculating the strength of the competition. I couldn't help but see the wakeless running the same race as myself, trying to smuggle their darkness past the finish line. Every human soul that crashed down into hopeless nightmare was just a polished coin in the creature's coffers. Perhaps far worse, I began to think of my companions as reasonable adjuncts to further my ascent. Pawns in my quest to become... God knew what. But the witch and I were almost on the same page now, or at least we'd cracked open the same book. Suddenly, the going got much weirder, and the walkway became a narrow bridge across churning emptiness, a pronounced disconnect within the wakeless enterprise, an island in the sea of evil sleep. It seemed like we were climbing the face of an untried mountain, its true height masked by twinning shadow, an untold story afloat in the void. The uneven steps grew more navigable beneath our feet as the rough stone organized itself into a flight of polished cement stairs, and the darkness became a staggered horde of vague, organic shapes. We were entering, as far as I could tell, a combination of a torched art studio and a smoldering forest. Sooty light bulbs hung like dirty stars just above and slightly below the naked, seething tree limbs their grimy light sloughing down from above, dimly illuminating strange canvases and sculptures that slumped and bubbled from smoking scrub brush and thickets. 
The art was a nightmare composition of repurposed body parts, each one married to the next with supernatural, if ultimately sick, skill. Despite the obvious similarities to the family man's work, there was something overly deliberate about the themes that seemed to miss the existential mark. Wicked noticed immediately. These don't belong to Donald Vive. These are lost opportunities. Diamonds that never quite escape the rough. Merely indelicate, though amusing caricatures of sickness. The artistic Neanderthal to Donald's Cro-Magnon, if you will. Pearls before swine. Spoke a male voice from within a nearby cave. Hazy lighting mixed with a rising fog directly in front of the yawning stone. My art has nothing to do with exalting my subjects, but only magnifying my will within the world, bringing you all beneath the inimitable sway of my personal vision. Art as power, I suppose you might philosophize. But I invite your comparisons with my son's work. His successes are my own, after all. It was I who instructed him. The sage quickly moved to the rear of the group, eschewing the business of monsters. The mental preparation for killing was automatic. Our blades and smiles slid out like cat's claws, informal and silent. I addressed the cave, my burning eyes searching its gloom. I'm afraid we know enough about the man to understand where his skills come from. Show yourself. Now. The man sounded shocked. Why, you're here, you poor, murderous bitch. I see that you too have failed to survive our wonderful son's company. I told you so, did I not? I wonder where the other three of you got to. If I had to guess, I'd say they're dead. I'm right, aren't I? His words weren't aimed at me, but within me, at her. I could feel fire catching. Oh, don't fret, my darlings. I have no stomach for fighting, just killing, and only as it applies to my craft. A confusing shape moved from the mouth of sleeping stone, like the whisper of a thousand paintbrushes working rough canvas. The scorched light fell upon a burning shape of broken bearing, its flesh the torn, sullied fabrics of a yellowed canvas, its eyes the boiling red of bloody paint. Within seconds, the inks and oils of its shadow merged with the surrounding blackness, and the dream became an artwork of purest sickness. The creature rose to its full height and bowed with mocking protocol. I am the Red Ouroboros. Wicked seemed genuinely fascinated with the creature. He walked past me, dangers be damned, and started talking to the thing. What a wonderful gallery you have here, creature. Dreams through and through. But I wonder, are you dream or ghost? My insane companion looked as if he might reach out to touch the confessed father of the infamous family man, but thought better of it at the last moment. The world of galleries and soot shifted into a tomb-like trap full of darkness and dust. The crazy quilts of scored flesh and melted wax flowing into a messy freak show of more standard human mutilation. Art, by deranged serial killer standards. Sensing our shift in focus to the changing environment, the Red Ouroboros explained. That has nothing to do with me. You must realize this is all a dream. 
and dreams are fixed to no obligations of time or space, drawing their inspiration equally from the future as much as the past. I suspect I have a date with fire at some point, my wonderful gallery destroyed. Pity that. But since I'm not quite certain I'm an independently living thing, I don't know that I should care about what happens in the future. Yet, if I had an opinion born of any actual living thought, I'd say that fire could do my art a world of good. Art versus nature, that sort of thing. Of course, art must always lose. But art can be cagey. When the fire has had its way, art becomes the ashes, death a new canvas. It's a shame my son fails to see the endurance of art after death. But he had his teacher stripped from him at an early age, replaced by a murderous whore, for a time. It's small wonder his artistic development was stymied. The creature's liquid eyes surged into my own, down into the fire growing within me. I felt an urge to defend her, the witch who had usurped my life. Though I couldn't speak to the horror accusation, I certainly wouldn't put it past her. But she refused me the words, choosing to hide her history with the melted man dream. Wicked spoke before I had a chance to say something rude, if largely uninformed. <laughs> Probably a good thing. So, you've no idea what you are. Interesting, but hardly unique. Who can truly say what or why they are? But tell me, sire to the great and inimitable Donald, do you have any idea where or where your little boy's gotten to? Wicked wasn't generally the right-to-the-point kind of guy, so I was a bit taken aback by his straightforwardness, although he was one to do what the moment didn't require or expect. His credo, really. Donald's bio-dad seemed a little put off by the directness, yet he seemed accommodating enough. Donald's been here, on and off, revisiting his dear old dad, if not recognizing him at all. He doesn't appear to have much use for his memories these days. I suspect that's prescriptive, for some agenda or another. You know, the best laid plans tend to be the most tender, prone to the worst kinds of interruption to say nothing of the consequences of their unmet expectations. But of course, this is the essence of attempting to second-guess the world. This time, his words were two-pronged, aimed at both Wicked and the Witch. Wicked responded nicely enough, considering... Clearly, your sway over this dream grants you some insight into the minds of those who enter it. Good to know. I wonder how much of you is truly invested here and what it would take to know your mind as intimately as you know ours. Baron was conspicuously absent. It wasn't difficult to guess where he was, but we hadn't reached that point. Yet. We're just guests here, Dylan, and unannounced ones at that. We shouldn't expect the warmest of receptions. Our host is just being cautious, I'm sure. I offered a smile to the dead artist. Wicked understood and stepped aside, allowing me a fuller view of the gallery maker. I was fairly certain Donald's daddy was well aware of Wicked's intent and Baron's location. He was no doubt ready for anything. We're curious about Donald, what he dreams of these days. We thought you'd be the one to ask. I felt like I'd cornered a fox in the brush, desperate to steady it, hoping against hope I wouldn't lose it to the thickets. The mutilated dream's arms widened in welcome. I'd be glad to tell you, but first, I'd like to know what she wants with him. 
After all, she had him the last time I checked. Lose him, did we, sweetheart? Murder you and run, did he? The disfigured dream clearly enjoyed having me, her, over a barrel. I could feel her patience for the creature dwindling. The crooked dream looked past me, first eyeing the dream sage and then Rover. He seemed to be sizing us up. Rover offered a low growl, and the mad laughter of the Bowers family cartwheeled about from within his rotting carcass. One of Donald's? Asked the dream of the dead artist, eyes still fixed upon the great dead dog. No, but I suppose you might say he was made by a distant cousin of Donald's. One of hers created him. I was curious to see if I could get him talking about his past with the witch, as she was keeping altogether mum on the topic. Not half bad, even for one of her lackey killers. Now, whether I'm alive or not, there's certainly no use in wasting time, even the sort of time that rots into shadows like so many sunbeams at dusk, as dream time is off to do. No, I've no mind for idle hands at all. In fact, I keep myself quite busy here. My gallery, despite its apparent destruction and my untimely death, has swollen in both scope and content, as dreams are far more pliable than even the supplest clay, especially to an artist with strong vision such as myself. Wouldn't you love to see one of my pieces? Of course you would. Suddenly, Baron appeared, whatever power allowing him to crouch invisibly behind the artist negated. A dimly glowing shape lurched from the dripping shadows, dwarfing my giant companion. It stumbled into view like an animate graveyard, corpses and skulls poking out every which way from within its body. Donald's daddy was sending a clear message. He was not at our mercy. Quite the opposite, in fact. The dead dream took hold of me with its churning, liquid eyes. I could almost feel his mind plucking at my flesh, turning me over like a cut of meat. And you, my dear hostess to whores. Oh yes, I can feel her down there, rolling in secrets like a dog turning over on its own excrement. But I have a secret for you, little courier. One perhaps she hasn't handed you. A nice, polished piece of terrible truth. The kind that makes you seek out that special razor you've been saving, just in case you get a taste for the void. You should know that I never forget a face, especially not when it relates to my art. I felt something gigantic forming in his words. I stepped back to give it room. Did you know that Donald knew your parents? In point of fact, he brought them to me. Said he was lost. A little ruse he'd perfected for drawing prospective visitors to my gallery. My world changed, suddenly, mercilessly. Caterpillars became butterflies, became corpses. You see, little girl, it was I who made you an orphan, and your parents into the finest, coldest art. Before my breath could leave me, two more shapes stumbled into view. The shadows fell away from their horribly disfigured faces. Genevieve, darling, come see your mommy and daddy. Oh, how beautiful we've all become. The revelations came like gut punches, doubling me over. 
even the protective veneer of dream did nothing to cushion the blows. Everything came into crystal focus against the filth of my life, past and present. Serial killers for companions, undead dogs, wanton murder. It was all too much. At last, I gave in to her completely. And she was there for me, arms outstretched, smiling as a mother would. My mouth filled with her words, my brain inhaled her fire. I was calmed almost instantly, like I'd popped a handful of Xanax. My lips blazed a smile, and my eyes shot ice into the thing responsible for a lifetime of pain. I could see her words escape me, tumbling through the air like burning leaves. Parents are such perfunctory things, don't you think, Master Artist? Her gaze passed over the incoming monsters with an aloofness that bordered on snobbery, a rebuke to a poor man's offering. I thought the murderer dream seemed more pleased by the turn of events than it had a right to be. The Ouroboros smiled. Finally, there you are, in what was all that nonsense about parents. You see, I'm not one to banter the aesthetics of biology, my dear. I'm just an artist. Mine is the dream of things, not the solidity they drag along behind them. Shadows made from slugs, cumbersome stuff, all that. But as to the little motley of horrors I've prepared, they were just a little chum in the water, and they seem to have done the trick. You've come back to me, for me, and now you are mine. My mind twisted between two visions, the dream before me and the one hidden inside me. The house beneath the sea of blood, I was inside of it, staring out broken windows at the riven corpses of countless dead. My lines were all kinds of crossed, veering between worlds, states of mind, reactions to tragedy. I became little more than a receptor, a thing of input, absorbing the rays of a thousand horrible suns all at once. I saw blood, more than could be possible, filling up an ancient heart, surging through arteries that shot through a sky divided between a rotting darkness and a raw red twilight. The rot was contagious, infecting nearby tissues that flowed like the innocent skirts of a baptismal gown. I saw Donald, the child, wearing a smile that had traveled a million men's faces to find his at last in slow, agonizing turns. My parents, nameless corpses upon whom I heap the blame of my misery, my drinking, my failures, my murders. I could still hear the two of them, the witch and the nightmare, my true makers, mother and father, contesting one another, verbal jabs and clever innuendo flying like broken teeth in a street brawl. I screamed silence into a void, breaking apart like innocence in war. I meant nothing to myself. The world was mechanical cruelty. I was locked inside it all, touched by the cold searching hands of sunlight and concrete and pleasant conversations and rainy days and yellow wallpaper. The realization might have been preordained as I could feel the reactive embrace of an outer warmth gathered from a mother's love. It was love, yes, but I wasn't sure it was for me. It was a self-congratulatory affection combined with the sound of puzzle parts sliding together effortlessly. 
It wasn't love. It was pride. And the rot continued to spread, red becoming black. My hand was the blade it held. My mind was the fire that filled it. I was no longer human. The witch was no human. No serial killer fond of recording her manipulations to VHS, gathering killers to her tent, making monsters for the sport of it. She was younger than death, but not by much. She sat in her house beneath the blood of the slain, drowning but not dead, aching. I was growing dangerously close to understanding, but she wouldn't have it. Finally, she pulled me out of her, or her out of me, but she left enough of herself behind for me to deal with the moment. Dead eyes greeted me as I consolidated my awareness to a single world. My parents, grins and guts in decay, loosely wrapped around bones made from rigid nightmare, no doubt culled from my own dreams. But beyond all the drama of the reunion, my family came apart just fine, as it always had. The witch's fire still lived in my hands, which had become blades. It was the pathetic movements of their straining mouths, trying to tie their rotting lips into a cupid's bow for a smile, that made me remove their faces. Just a single smooth movement of my left hand and they were quiet and pointless. They were just dead dreams, cobbled together. Their only value was through a blood connection to me. Here the artist had failed himself and proved the witch correct. They were only perfunctory things, nothing of worth. I could finally see the battle that had likely been joined long before I'd realized, my killers fending off the red Ouroboros' monster. The cemetery thing lurching and grasping at my fleet-footed giant killer, whose clever movements brought the thing beneath the surprise onslaught of my great undead dog. Its massive jaws displacing so much dream-animated dirt and corpse and gravestone. And then, as a courtesy, I suppose, to spare me further heartache, Wicked turned his knives upon the remainder of my parents, obliterating them, his speed and skill only heightened for their immersion in dream. But he never took his eyes from mine. My past was falling out all over the place, and he seemed saddened for the connection we shared, a childhood stuffed with horrors. Yet it was in that very moment I realized another truth. I had always been empty. I'd been spared the warping effects of tragedy due to that emptiness and its numbness. I spent my entire life trying to fill it up with alcohol, and now murder. I didn't owe my failures to tragedy, but to the void. I pitied the killer for feeling so sad for me, his every action a response to suffering, the nightmares that ate him alive when he was only a child, and his utterly ironic philosophy of unpredictability that merely secured his fate. I offered him a smile, and he responded with his own, its characteristic menace dulled by a moment of strange clarity. The Colossus of Dream and Gravestones finally fell and did not rise again. Rover and his lining of rotting serial killers had torn the thing apart. I'd seen old chew toys in better shape. My pet was a nasty thing, and I was coming to adore him for that. Baron was already drawing closer to the dead nightmare, the Red Ouroboros, 
my family's murderer, my father. I didn't hate the creature, even as he sneered at me, or perhaps at her. I had a sense that the unfolding scene was more familiar to the Red Artist than I knew. I could feel her memories of intruding upon his studio armed with a pack of restless killers, intending to end him. My killers parted as I strode to the front of the pack, bits of my family's severed faces still clinging to my hands. I've been here before, child. Do your worst, but I can assure you, Donald did his best. After all, wasn't it my own imparted skills that allowed him to kill me as well as he did, granting the pain and beauty of my earthly departure repose within a killing dream? It wasn't his venom that began to irk me, but his lack of pride in me. You created this moment, you fool. Sculpted it, refined it, gave it life. I've proven you a great artist, and all you can do is bitch about the loss of your crappy sketches? I should have known my father would turn out to be a complete shitheel. I was accepting the absurdity of my life, putting on my shadow. It was a little loose, but I'd grow into it. The eyes of my lethal family held me, curious as to why I hadn't killed our attacker. They still hadn't gotten it. We were almost all together. My children, my mother and father. We were only missing one. I put a gentle hand on the man who made me. And finally, a father's pride dawned within his blackened eyes. I pulled him close and placed my lips to his ear. Where is Donald? Where is my brother? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.